You make your plans, but your life is not linear and you are called in to serve at different moments and you have to decide if you're going to show up or if you're going to stick to, to these plans that you made. Welcome to After Five-ish, a bonus series where we take a break from our regularly scheduled show for quick chats with pros who can help you live a smarter work life. You ever meet somebody in passing or hear of someone and think, I wish I could ask them about their job? Us too. With After Five-ish, we're calling those people up to get the best bits of career advice they can share. Okay, on to the show. Today, our guest is Shiza Shahid. Shiza is a social entrepreneur, activist, investor, and the co-founder and co-CEO of mission-driven kitchen and kitchenware company, Our Place. And you may have heard her on this show before. We last caught up with Shiza in 2020, which feels like a lifetime ago, right after Our Place launched. Before founding Our Place and Now Ventures, a seed fund for other mission-driven companies, Shiza co-founded the Malala Fund, a global nonprofit formed to advance the education of girls around the world. We've spoken with Shiza about growing up in Pakistan and her early career experiences on the show before. So today we're going to talk to her about working toward an altruistic mission while making money and what it takes to weave your passions into your professional life. Shiza, I am so glad to have you back on the show. Welcome to After Five-ish. Carly, I'm so happy to be spending time with you again. I, I missed our conversations. Yes. Well, this is going to be fun. So we're going to warm up with a lightning round. Quick questions, quick answers. Are you ready? Let's do it. Okay. I'm going to start with some random ones. So our skin birthday is coming up. What is your favorite way to celebrate your birthday? I like to reset. I like to go somewhere beautiful like Big Sur in the wilderness where I can just walk around, hear my thoughts, hear nature, maybe get a massage, eat something delicious and spend time with the people I love. That sounds very peaceful. You've become an expert on cookware um, and all things kitchen. What is your favorite color for cookware? I love our signature spice. It's a very warm, earthy pink, sort of the opposite of millennial pink, very deep, <laughs> very multi-layered. Yeah, it's, it's just beautiful. What is your favorite recipe to cook that you had growing up? I love making my mom's chicken karahi, which is this tomato-based chicken dish that you can have with roti or flatbread or rice or really anything. Yeah, it's just reminds me of home. If you could have one famous person, living or dead, be able to be an Our Place customer, who would it be? I would say maybe um, Jose Andres. I love his work oh, with that's a good one. food justice and food access. Yes. I like that one. We're going to actually, it's a good transition because he is somebody who has also really weaved advocacy in his work. You have consistently prioritized impact and advocacy throughout your career. What would you say first ignited that spark within you? You know, I think it was my childhood. I was fortunate to grow up in a, in a loving home in the capital city of Pakistan, Islamabad. Uh, my parents didn't grow up with very much, but they worked hard to give my siblings and I the very best education that they could afford. And I was growing up in a country that is beautiful and diverse, but also has a lot of poverty. 
has the second highest number of children out of school in the entire world, is ranked the second worst place to be born a woman in the entire world. And that juxtaposition of privilege was very clear to me, even though we didn't have very much, we had enough. So many women and girls around me had their opportunities and their circumstances limited. And I wanted to understand what was going on in the world around me and how I could contribute and make a difference. And so at a young age, I just found my way into volunteering, starting out carrying medical supplies into a women's prison, and then working for an organization, writing case studies, documenting their work with women living below the poverty line. And over and over again, I was struck by the power of women to lift themselves out of poverty. When you empower a woman to earn a dollar, she invests 80 to 90% into her family and community. Typically, it's 30 to 40% for men. And so I was really starting to understand from a very grassroots, personal way in how you can drive change and how you can make a difference. And that started to give my life um, at a young age a real sense of meaning and purpose. When I think back to your story and, you know, eventually that purpose led you to, to running a nonprofit like the Malala Fund. And I think so many of us were so deeply affected by that mission and, and that story. And then you switch gears and you, you start and run a direct-to-consumer e-commerce company like Our Place. I imagine that that is drastically different in your day-to-day. Walk me through just what that change was like, kind of how how you adapted to that. Yeah. So those are those are two snapshots of my life, but they're both part of a journey, right? And so growing up, all that I could contribute was as a 13-year-old carrying boxes of medical supplies into a women's prison and then from there learning how to be an effective volunteer and an effective grassroots organizer in my community. But when I was 18, I was fortunate to get a scholarship to Stanford University, and I moved halfway across the world to the heartland of startups. I'd never heard the word entrepreneurship, and now everyone in my class wanted to be entrepreneurs. And it was the first time that I was exposed to startups and venture capital. And the fact that if you built a business, sometimes you could have a faster and further reaching impact than through the nonprofit model, which growing up was all that I had ever known. And while nonprofits do incredibly important work, that model is also fraught with its own complexities and inadequacies. And so I was on my way to that journey of wanting to build a mission-driven business from the time that I was 18, 19 years old. That's why right out of college, I took my first job at McKinsey, moved out to Dubai, thought I would get one of the best business trainings in the world at at this top consulting firm, and then one day built my own thing. But a year into my time there, my friend Malala Yousafzai was shot by the Taliban and my world turned upside down. And I was called to try and make something good come of this horrible thing. And in that moment, I had a decision to make. Would I stay on my plan, my five-year path, or would I take a leap of faith and try and be of service in that moment? And I took that leap of faith And I became co-founder and founding CEO of the Malala Fund. Um, And it was one of the greatest privileges of my life to help lay the foundation of that organization. But in many ways, that was in the middle of my path of wanting to look at impact through the lens of business, through the lens of startups, through the lens of the financial markets. And so I always say, you make your plans, but your life is not linear. 
and you are called in to serve at different moments and you have to decide if you're going to show up or if you're going to stick to to these plans that you made. And I decided that I was going to show up. And once I had built that foundation, I wanted to transition back into this lens of impact through business, through finance. I started an angel fund investing in mission-driven startups. I realized quickly while I loved supporting entrepreneurs, I wanted to be building, I wanted to be focused. And I'm an immigrant. My partner's an immigrant. We both literally found our place in America by cooking and sharing food. And as we were going through this experience of learning to cook, of building community, building chosen family, we realized there really wasn't a brand that was rooted in representation and sustainability and just good design that made cooking and gathering easier. Um, And that was really how our place was born. And so the pivots in your career are important. I think living is a constant process of growing and reinventing. And the the skill sets that I have used, whether as a grassroots volunteer in Pakistan or as CEO of the Malala Fund or CEO of our place, compassion, empathy, resilience, grit, creativity, those skill sets are actually highly transferable for all of us. It's a great takeaway around like how to identify transferable skills. But I think, you know, what I would imagine is that the outcomes of success look different in a nonprofit versus a a, pro- a company that aims to have, you know, strong financial returns as well as create positive social change. What has that learning curve been like to transition from the nonprofit world? In both sectors, you need capital to impact change, right? In the nonprofit sector, you fundraise that from philanthropists and you're constantly fundraising because most nonprofits don't actually generate their own revenue, but ultimately everything you're doing requires capital. In the for-profit space, everything you're doing also requires capital. The difference is you can generate most of it, if not all of it. Um, And so one of the things that I really love about generating revenue is You can focus in on the solution that you're building. Both models rely on the presence of capital. It's raised differently in either model. I've always thought about the entire economy as it should work together. We exist in a world today where, you know, you have immense global challenges from climate change to the refugee crisis. We have nonprofits doing incredibly important work. But trillions are traded in the financial markets every day, and nonprofits are are a fraction of that. So if we are to solve the world's most pressing challenges, we need to consider the role of nonprofits, of business, of the financial markets, of government together, and how they solve different pieces of the challenge and how they work well together. I think we need to hold businesses accountable to metrics beyond uh, pure financial success. if we're able to demonstrate that, then it's another model of success that entrepreneurs can point to and say, well, you know, you can make better choices and still succeed financially. So when you say like it's happening, part of how it, it can happen is obviously ultimately consumers make a choice, right? As a consumer, you know, we're all seeing that more companies are starting to place a greater focus on social and corporate responsibility. But listen, we've all know that there can be a gap really between intention and what actually happens. 
as a consumer, how do you advise us being able to spot the difference between a genuinely mission-driven company from those who might be paying lip service to a, a moment or a movement? Yeah, I think a couple of things. One is history matters, right? Understand the history of the brands that you support and the history of the people who who build them, right? If you scroll down to our very first photographs on our Instagram feed, they were taken in South Central LA. For those of you who are in LA uh, will know that South Central LA, parts of it still remain a food desert. So the technical definition of that is sort of an area where healthy food is not easily accessible. And so our very first photo shoot was not in in the Hamptons with models. It was with food justice activists in South Central LA. Our very first event was in the parking lot of one of the only healthy grocery stores in that community. We put together this event as a way to, to showcase the amazing work that was happening in South Central. I say all of that to say companies have a history, they have a legacy, they have a story. Read that story and get curious about it. Try and look at the depth of intentionality. And so there are sort of very easy ways to describe your impact for every shoe. We donate a shoe, right? Those, those are easy to understand statements. But then there is sort of the, the intentionality behind everything else. Well, tell me about your team. Tell me about how you package your products. Tell me about the stories that you tell and, and how you try and honor the histories of the foods that you're cooking in these, in these products. And then I think also just the very act of genuinely supporting smaller businesses. It took us over two years to design our Always Pen. And since then, multi-billion dollar companies have come and completely knocked it off. And what is the cost of, of copying? What is the cost of not offsetting your carbon footprint, of not hiring a predominantly female and BIPOC team, of not investing in your culture and the stories that you tell of not taking the time to understand the traditions that you're talking about. Um, and so some of it is that the very act of, of not just choosing convenience, but choosing to support people and stories and brands whose stories feel important and whose process and invention feels important. And then and the last thing I'll say is also just not demanding perfection. I think it's easy to say, well, you should be perfect, but the recognition that there is no such thing as perfection. And if people are trying, let's encourage them and uplift them for trying, especially small businesses, especially women-owned businesses and BIPOC-owned businesses, because I think especially those brands are the ones that have been held up to standards of, of impossible perfection. Whereas actually the big multi, multi-billion dollar conglomerates evade that altogether. And that's where the real power is. And that's where the real change needs to happen. So those are just some, some reflections that I have having been in this for the last three years. It's such a great point. And, you know, I'm listening to you talk and I'm listening to you as a consumer and reminding myself of that. And then I'm listening to you as kind of a founder and as a co-CEO also, where most of us who are in a position of having found something, there's a type A element to us, right? And that goal of perfection is sometimes what makes us really <laughs> ambitious and also what can hold us back. And so I'm just curious, mm. like your every day, how have you been able to sort of like find grace for yourself and in, in not leaning too far into that and allowing things to keep moving forward and not waiting for perfection as you're talking about? Yeah. I mean, in general, I think this idea of minimum viable product that comes from Silicon Valley, right? Like let's 
create something, let's get feedback, let's make it better, let's test it. And we're never going to put anything out into the world that we're not super proud of. But how do we make our community and our customers and our team a part of that process versus, you know, keeping the doors shut and staying in a room until the three of us are very happy with something? I think in addition, this is going to sound very uh, simple, but I think deadlines really help. I am a huge believer in, in we have to get these designs out the door for this box, this packaging. And so this is the time that we're giving ourselves. Let's get in the room. Sometimes I can, I can really second guess my own writing. Um, and so collaboration, right? And having the eyes of people that, that I trust. And I'll say, I'm going to spend tonight writing this thing. By the end of tonight, I'm going to send it to you, our amazing copy team, Caroline and Leah. And that's it. It'll be what it'll be. It'll be imperfect. And then hopefully you can help me and I will trust your opinion. But this is my deadline. I'm going to come up with an MVP, a minimum viable product of this, of this draft of what I'm writing. And then I'm going to trust the collaboration process and my teammates to make it better and get it out into the world. I love that. Chisa, it's so great to kind of get the latest on you guys. Give us give us one moment of, of bragging. What's the latest and greatest with our place? Which, by the way, I love my pan. Well, we got to get you everything else. I don't have the whole set, but I, you know, it's, can I just say, everyone says like, who has it? They're like, you know, it's like, when you explain like, why is it so great? Everyone has the same reaction of like, can't explain exactly why, but it's just great. You just have to get it. So give us a, give us a bragging moment. You know, the last two and a half years have been just an incredible ride. We launched this business. Nobody really believed in it outside of us. And I think people fell in love with the products and the fact that they're designed to be streamlined, that they're made better for you, better for the environment. Uh, People fell in love with the brand and that it's truly rooted in representation and inclusion and all the ways in which we celebrate and gather together. And we're just getting started. And so, you know, lots of exciting things planned this year, some really exciting launches of both our essentials and our tradition wear, which are the products we make in partnership with communities to celebrate traditions. We're launching our first retail stores in Los Angeles later this year. And so our community will be able to be with us in person after two and a half years of the pandemic, which, you know, we're really, really looking forward to. And, and just, you know, continuing to make products and tell stories that, that bring people closer together. Well, very excited for you. Last question. Who is somebody we should have on the show? Justina Blakeney, my friend, who's an incredible designer. She has a brand called Jungle and she was just on the cover of Architectural Digest. And then Pachama, uh, one of the, uh, the companies I actually invested in through my fund, uh, which is helping make carbon credits more widely available and making sure that they're actually impactful and, and certified. And we've actually been working with them at our place to offset our carbon footprint. So if you're an entrepreneur looking to offset the carbon footprint of your business, Pachama is a great place to go. Awesome. Well, Shaza, congratulations. And thank you again for joining us and love to, to hear the latest. Thank you, Carly. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. In the meantime, check out our news podcast, Skim This. Every Thursday, we cover what you need to know each week in 30 minutes or less. And we've also got another podcast, Pop Cultured with The Skim, where each week 
We're covering the pop culture moment everyone's talking about. New episodes drop every Tuesday.